don't know uh, if you weren't aware, hopefully you are aware, Andrew Brunson was a, uh, now past tense, was a missionary in Turkey. Um, he is an ordained minister in our de denomination. He was imprisoned for two years under false charges. And uh, just day before yesterday was finally released. He was technically convicted, yes. Um, he was technically convicted of some crimes, but they, it was basically face-saving so that they then immediately released him on time served, and he's, he's back uh, in the States. He's, I'm not quite sure where he is this morning. He's still in Washington. He hasn't left? Not yet? Okay. So yesterday he met with the president, uh, he and his wife, and hopefully uh, he and his family will be able to spend good time together because uh, he, he missed a lot in the past two years. But we're incredibly grateful uh, that, that, he's, that he's home. Uh, we are in a series on the, the book of James, and this morning we're in James 3, 1 through 12, and that'll be on the, the screen behind me. If you have your Bible, you can turn there, obviously. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's perfect. He's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, you are a speaking God. You speak to your people. You've done this clearly in your word, and you speak to us still that word by your Holy Spirit. We pray this morning that our ears would be open and our heart would be soft to receive that word. Pray, God, that you would graciously wound us, that you would call us to be a people who hear a better word spoken by yourself, 
We would be a people that repeat that better word. Be with us, Lord Jesus, to the praise of your name. Amen. Last week, we we talked about how James calls people to have a faith that's alive and working. He talks about how faith that is just a a collection of of intelligence, a collection of knowledge, a, a list of doctrine that has no bearing on the way you actually live your life, that's not actual faith, that's something else. He says a living faith is lived out. And after he's made this point in James 2, the the first place he turns then is to this arena of the way that you use your tongue, which is quite interesting. Many people who might come to the Bible and expecting the Bible to tell you what to do might not go to speech as the first place where you might receive instruction. But you can hear how important this is to James how central and vital is how the people of God use speech amongst each other and in the world. He, he kind of finds his entry into this subject by just warning people, don't aspire to be teachers. Don't want my job, okay? That's what he's saying. Don't want to be that person on the stage in front of the room doing the teaching because those people, they're held to a higher standard in their speech and the way they talk will be under higher scrutiny, more intense scrutiny. You don't want that. You shouldn't just want to be the person in the front of the room because you like to be the center of attention. That's not a good place to be. You better make sure you're supposed to be there. And he uses that warning as a way to say, because we all struggle with how we talk, don't we? He includes himself in this this diagnosis. We all struggle to tame the tongue. We all struggle with the way that we talk. And here, James starts to speak in accord with a very large tradition in wisdom literature that deals with this specific issue about how you talk. You know, you can use uh, Bible search engines online. You can pick up an old-fashioned concordance and, and pick out this word tongue or speech or talk, and you can see the long list of Proverbs that is focused on how people speak. And it's not just that, but James here, even though you and I probably would miss it most of the time, is also quoting non-Christian wisdom literature about how you speak. So this is, for James and people of his day, maybe more so than our day, unfortunately, a, of prime importance. How you talk matters, and it says significant things. And he gives you three images, three examples about the importance and power of the tongue. His first image is that of a horse, big animal. You and I couldn't control that animal physically if we wanted to, apart from this little piece of metal that goes in their mouth. This little piece of metal in their mouth changes everything. And he says that your tongue is like this, this little thing that can make this massive difference. And then he, he uses that same principle and, and talks about a ship. A ship is huge, it's large, but there's a relatively tiny piece of equipment that can steer the whole thing. 
And there he gives this helpful point of clarification. The ship is large. It has its own momentum. The, the rudder is small. It can control the whole thing. And there is a pilot, somebody who can control that little thing that can direct this much larger thing. That pilot, that pilot imagery is important. And then he says this, the tongue is this fire. Associates it with setting on fire. It's like a spark put to dry tender. And it is itself a fire in your body at all times. A perpetual stain, James says, inside of you. And with these repeated images, James is making the case that the tongue is incredibly important and unfortunately for us, often overlooked. We, we probably are uncritical about the nature of our own speech as a people to our great harm. This is not a, a minor point. And I would, I would push on this hard and say that in our day, we are seeing the effects played out in front of our eyes of the real danger of Christians not paying attention to their speech. And oftentimes the way that people have thought about this is make sure you don't cuss, which is its own thing. But that is a very narrow, limiting uh, take of what James is saying here about the power and importance and influence of speech. I, I've, um, I've been reading this book about an author, because this guy, this other, this author's too smart for me. I don't want to jump into his stuff without somebody telling me what the heck he's going to talk about, because he's probably going to talk over my head. His name is Jock Elul, and he died 24 years ago or something like that. He's this guy, brilliant man, who wrote about all kinds of things. And one of the things that he talks about a lot is the way that the word is used, the power of word, of speech. And this is a guy who, who was born and lived as a, as a pastor in World War, I, in World War II. He saw the, the expansion, the power of television, but never really saw the internet come into play. So he is just kind of reacting to the way TV has affected the world. And he hasn't even seen the internet. And it's alarming because the things that he says about the world that has not even yet seen the internet is so on point, it's, it's scary. And one of the things that he talks about is this transition in our culture and our day and time from, from our world being a world of speech to a world of images. We're going from a, a world shaped by words to a world shaped by images. And what he says, the real problem with that is a world shaped by images is driven by intuition and emotion rather than reason and logic. And people can use that, that deep, the waters that it's playing in of, of emotion and intuition to shape the world in, in dark and scary ways. And even he says the church is tempted to be just like the world and speak this language of emotionalism and intuition that's driven by imagery. And I'd say that that's a pretty dead-on analysis, that our world 
has lost or forgotten or neglected the power of speech. And what James here reminds us is that Christians are uniquely and supposedly irrevocably a people of speech. How we talk matters. Not just what we say, but how we say it is of deep importance. We are a people shaped by the Word. We are a people formed by the Word, spoken into existence by the Word. Words should be forever incredibly important to us. And the way that James uses the imagery, I want to suggest to you that there's two possibilities for us. Thoughtless use of words can steer the ship into dangerous territory. And and this we see, I think it's probably not hard for you to agree with me on this. You can see it out there in the world. Thoughtless speech has wrecked incredible havoc on the world. The people just lob this language of intuition and emotionalism and set the world on fire without even thinking about what they're saying. And we have these things structurally in our world that are pressing on us, that are encouraging us again and again to speak without thought. To not care about what we say or how we say it, but to say it quickly. To say it first, to say it loudly. And when that happens, destruction occurs. Chaos follows. I've seen this in my own personal life. I am a professional talker. It is what I do for a living. I do it every day of the week, except Saturday, nobody will listen to me. Well, that's not true, I coach soccer. Every day of the week, people are gathered around to listen to me. I'm a professional talker, and let me tell you something. It is incredibly difficult to keep paying attention to what I say and how I say it. And when I let go of the reins and I just am guided by my gut and my reaction, destruction inevitably follows. Just this week in my own house, I was dealing with frustration at home. Surprise. I have four kids. And you know what the thing with Crystal said about toddlers and their big emotions? That's the kindest possible description of what toddlers are like. Um, I came home and my, I, we had just bought a new pair of Crocs for my son. Crocs are not good fashion. I, I know that. But if you have a toddler, they're the best. They're comfortable, they like to wear them, there's nothing to tie. If they get dirty, you hose them off and you're good to go. The problem with Crocs is that dogs love them and love to destroy them within minutes. We had just just spent 20 bucks on a new pair of Crocs for my son and he had done the thing that he has been told not to do, I don't know, 10,000 times, take off his shoes and just throw them wherever he took them off. He left them outside where the dog was and they were ripped apart by the dog. In addition to that, my, my daughter in first grade, not particularly the most mindful 
caretaker of things, something that we had just gone, I can't even remember what it is right now, was also lost, even though we just got it for her. And I'm just seeing the money set on fire in my mind. And with the image of those flames, my heart is in flames. And so I'm just super annoyed, I'm frustrated, I'm speaking out of frustration to anybody and anything, including the dog that walks into my field of vision. Everything is annoying at that point, and I'm just, just mowing people down. I'm just mad, it's like it's here in the top of my gut, boiling. And I walked away, and my wife gave me several looks that confirmed that this was ridiculous. And I went back to my room to, to read something and, and cool off, and I thought of my son, my four-year-old son. My son has especially big emotions for a four-year-old. He's a four-year-old, but he's like a four-year-old on steroids. And what I have to, we talk through with him all the time, is you are allowed to be frustrated and disappointed and angry. You are allowed to feel those things. That is allowed. Especially when things don't go your way. That's understandable. You can feel that. What you are not allowed to do is throw a fit. You cannot melt down and wail and scream. And, and oftentimes that conversation comes after he's throwing a fit. But more and more as we talk through with him, when we have that little conversation, it's a, it's a reminder for him to calm down, to rein it in, to get himself under control. And as I sat back there in my room, I realized I could feel frustrated and disappointed and angry, but what I was not allowed to do was throw a fit. And so I had to go back to my family at dinner time and look at my four-year-old son and the rest of my family and say, look, these, these are the rules. I'm allowed to feel those things. And I almost immediately started to go into a rant about how it was so frustrating and disappointing. But I stopped and I said, but I'm not allowed to throw a fit. And I was wrong and I'm sorry. And let me tell you, the world is organized not just within your family, but in public, for you to act like a four-year-old. Everything in this world is organized in such a way is encouraging you to let loose and speak from that place of frustration and disappointment and anger and to set things on fire with your emotion. And it's destructive. And unfortunately, if you're like me, too often, and, and James seems to identify with us as well, you fail at this. You and I thoughtlessly steer the ship into dangerous waters and wreck. And when you wreck, it's probably not just wreckage for yourself, but it's wreckage for other people as well. Christians do not have the liberty to wear the name of Jesus and think that all that matters is that you can say a few things that are right 
and then you can talk however you want otherwise. Christians are not to adopt the speech of a world that is speaking the language of toddlers. We are to be people who exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, one of which is self-control. Steer away from thoughtless, destructive speech. And the other thing that you can do with a rudder is not just steer away from danger, but you can steer into safe harbor. This is one of the interesting things about what James says about speech. And as I've read this passage in the past, all I, can, all I usually think about is don't speak poorly. Watch how you talk. In other words, don't talk like this. But actually, there's more to that imagery than just don't do this. There is a reverse side that you should speak this way. You should be a kind of person that speaks blessing to the world, to those around you, even those people who are making you feel frustrated, disappointed, and angry. And that there's actually, a, a, it seems like this formative power in the tongue by choosing to speak well to the world around you. So it's not just that, that vice acts on you when you act poorly, it's virtue also acts on you when you act virtuously. And if you constantly say, uh, you know, I want to be a virtuous person, I want to be a good person, I, I want to be a kind of Jesus person, and you never talk like one, you're not being acted upon, you're not ever moving in the direction of virtue that you want to be like. There is something to the ability to just say, I want to react this way, instead, I will act this way. For me, I know the way that this plays out is I, I am not by nature an encouraging person. I just don't think to encourage. My wife does. That she just overflows with encouragement. It's bewildering to me. I don't do that. But James is saying you can steer the ship in the direction that you want and should go so if I become a person that consistently chooses to speak encouragement, even though it might not flow out of how I feel, eventually you start to actually become, you start to actually go in the direction that you're steering. Now, this is, this is not, you know, the secret religious hokum, like name it and claim it kind of stuff. This is actually just how people change. You know, you may not feel like eating well all the time, but if you slowly just decide to eat well again and again, eventually you become the person who wants to eat well. This is how it works. You can't just set your, your, your location by how you feel at the moment. You have to just kind of choose against how you feel. And so if I want to be a current and encouraging person, I have to make an active choice of my will. I have to let the pilot of the ship work, as James might say, and I have to steer in the direction of encouragement. And this matters for our interpersonal relationships because if you find yourself just constantly saying like, man, I wish I just didn't hate that person so much. I wish I didn't want to just bash that person all the time. I wish we had a better relationship. And all you're saying is, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, and never acting. I think James might say to you, hey, you're the pilot. 
Put your will on the rudder and turn it. Start talking like one. And in our culture at large, outside of our interpersonal relationships, it's incredibly important that we, the church, a Christian people, decide to start turning things a different direction. The world needs Jesus' people to speak kindly and graciously. The world needs the the church to teach people how to do this thing. And you can't just look at the world and say, I wish it was better. No, no, no. What are you doing to turn the ship in a different direction? It is part of the vocation of the church to both prophetically speak to what is evil and to also show the way to what is good. Because that is the way God is. God offers us both kinds of speech in Scripture. Do not do this for it is evil. Do this because it is good. We need a church who will courageously say, not only will I not set the world on fire like a toddler, but I, I will show the world what a full-grown adult looks like. With patience, and kindness, and tenderness. And look, th- this doesn't mean that there's never any sort of confrontational speech from the church. Look at the book of James. I mean, James is pretty confrontational. He says your tongue is set on fire by hell. Okay? That's pretty confrontational. Read the words of Jesus. They're very confrontational. But they flow out of a love for God and love for people. Not a reactionary need to defend oneself, advance position, exert control and power. But instead, a mouth that again and again confesses, not my will, but yours be done. See, this is why we are focusing as much as possible on being a praying people. Because we're not saying that you come to church every Sunday or every day of your life and you just feel like praying. That's not the point. The point is to let prayer work on you and make you into a praying person. Make your mouth into a mouth formed by the Word of God. Jesus speaks about speech to the Pharisees. The Pharisees, um, Jesus' opponents, like to try to catch Him in error. They like to accuse Him of being on the wrong team. And that's what's going on here in Matthew 12. And they've told him that he's casting out demons by the power of demons, and Jesus is just, just laying waste to this argument and saying, this is that this is apparent nonsense. And he moves on to how speech works. He says in Matthew 12, 33 and following, either make the trees good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, speaking to the Pharisees, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified 
and by your words you'll be condemned. That's Jesus. That's strong language. By your words you'll be justified, or by your words you'll be condemned. Your words, both what you say and how you say them, speak to the fruit of your heart. And James is getting at this same thing at the end of this passage. With this teaching from his brother in the background, he's saying, you can't have a spring that shoots out both fresh water and salt water. The issue behind the issue of your tongue is your heart. And if you and I were honest in evaluating our speech, we would say there is mixed evidence there at best. You know, I, I, I was reading James 3 and just was very deeply convicted about the way that, that I use my mouth and how easy it is, both in verbal and digital speech, to just have an end in mind and not care about the means. How to be self-justifying all the time. It's their fault for annoying me. It's their fault for frustrating. It's their fault for being wrong. And here's Jesus saying, out of your heart, those, those words flow. In another gospel, in, in the gospel of Mark, he'll say, it's the things that come out of your mouth that make you clean or unclean. And unfortunately, all too often I could stand and say, woe unto me. I am a man of unclean lips. My heart is not right. But the hope of the gospel is that God speaks a better word than me and you. The hope of the gospel is that God's speech is directed towards His people to tell them good news. That you and I are at best a mixed bag. Jesus, the Word made flesh, dwells among, dwells among us and stays with us. Though we have gone on to, to hear that word and, and spin off into all kinds of forgetfulness in how we speak. The response is to turn around and to hear the better word. To hear the better word of God to His people. God presents Himself as your King. Demands from you that you serve Him as a king and pledges to you that He will complete the work that He's begun in you. And then when you respond to Him, when you hear that better word and you do this thing that we call repentance, when you turn from one way back to the other and you come to Him and let Him deal with your heart, the, the stuff, the water, the fruit that comes out of it starts to change. Paul will, will call this the fruit of the Spirit as compared to the works of the flesh. 
when you set your hand to the rudder by yourself, the work that you will do will bring forth a certain kind of result. But when the Spirit puts His fingers in the soil of your heart and massages it and works it, the life of God Himself starts to come out of these people who've always only been a mixed bag. If you're sitting here this morning and you are convicted by James's words, as I have been, as I am, my response to you, I think that the response of Scripture is don't just make a pledge within yourself to do better. Just you doing better probably has landed you where you are right now. Just you just, well, I'm going to really muscle down and I'm going to really, I'm going to get it this time. I'm going to nail it. Well, I'll see you next week. Because it was you at the rudder all along. The response has to be to come to the one who can make your heart whole. Maybe you find yourself speaking out of a need to defend yourself because you know how weak and frail you are. And you don't trust anyone to protect you except yourself. Jesus can protect you. You don't have to be afraid and, and speak like a terrified person anymore. Maybe, maybe you just really want other people to respect you and to love you, so you have to eliminate competitors in the room and you slice other people down or you boastfully make clear of your intelligence, your proficiency. Jesus accepts you eternally and calls you his brother or his sister forever. You don't have to be afraid of how other people might see you or treat you. On and on and on down the line, however you find yourself slipping in this area, this uncontrollable arena of the tongue, Jesus is the answer. He's not just your example. He's the answer, the antidote to the poison that James says flows through your veins. Jesus stands before you this morning still speaking a better word. This morning, would you respond to that better word? And would you then receive the peace of God that comes from His own speech for His own people now and forever? Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your kindness to us. Though we have spoken unkindly, You have spoken kindness. Though we have measured ourselves against others and brought condemnation and judgment to others, you have brought gracious acceptance. Lord Jesus, our hearts are fractured, unstable, and unsteady. Would you now make our hearts whole and healthy? Help us to be a people by your Holy Spirit who reflect your image into the world who speak that better word to all those around us. Word of God, we pray. Reorder, reshape us, cleanse us, and renew us. We ask, God, that you would make us more and more into the image of your Son. Help us speak that word again and again. Amen.